We're going to be addressing a topic that is so important. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a more important topic that we could be discussing this weekend than evangelism. And we know that evangelism is extremely important. We know that in many ways evangelism should come naturally because we're saved. We know Christ. We know the joy of forgiveness from sins, and we should naturally want to tell others about that and and have them share in this joy. And we know that it's relatively simple to share the gospel, tell people that Jesus loves them and died for them. And even though we know that evangelism is important, should come naturally to us as Christians, and is a relatively simple thing to do, we still find it so hard, don't we? We find it so difficult to actually open up our mouths and tell non-Christians about Jesus. So I hope that this weekend will be the, the boost that you need, the, the encouragement that you need to be the faithful evangelist that God calls you to be. Tonight as we kick off this retreat, we're actually not going to talk about evangelism, uh, but we're going to lay the foundation. Uh, We're going to get a running start in talking about evangelism tomorrow by first talking about the preparation for evangelism. Now, preparation is crucial to success. Uh, Preparation is crucial to success in any area of life. You guys know this because you guys work. If you want to perform well at work, then you must prepare well. You read, you research, you Google, you meet with people beforehand, you print out documents, you might even do some emails the night before, all to make sure that you are prepared for work the next day. Preparation is the difference between an oral presentation that goes smoothly and one that is a total train wreck. Preparation is the difference between being in a meeting and being engaged and being helpful and being a team player versus being unhelpful and maybe even being that guy who's just dead weight and actually holds the team back. Preparation is also crucial when it comes to ministry. If you're leading a small group or discussion like we have at this retreat, you prepare by reading relevant passages, studying those passages in depth, thinking of good questions, anticipating the kinds of answers you'll be getting. Uh, You probably want to jot down some notes and write an outline and have a roadmap of where you want to go. If you plan events at the church, that also requires preparation. It requires a bunch of planning out administrative and logistical details. It involves tons of spreadsheets. It involves communicating with people involved in the event beforehand so that on the day of the event, everything runs smoothly. If you play music, you prepare by practicing over and over again so that when you lead the congregation in worship, it's more or less automatic. If you want to be good at basketball, then you must practice. You practice your handles. You practice shooting. 
You run laps. You run sprints. You hit the gym and lift some weights. You even plan and strategize and mentally prepare so that you have the best chance of beating the other team. Simply put, preparation is how you do what you do the best. If you want to do well, if you want to do excellently, it requires preparation. And tonight, we're going to talk about preparing for evangelism. We want our evangelism to be the most effective, the most clear, the most honoring to the Lord. And if that's the case, we need to prepare like everything else in life. So uh, let me begin with a definition of evangelism that we'll be using throughout this weekend. Uh, You guys know, but let me just put it down uh, here, uh, what evangelism is. It's proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to non-Christians and calling them to believe in him. It's proclaiming, or you could say announcing, teaching, sharing, preaching the gospel, uh, doing whatever you can to communicate this message, this all-important truth that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. And in speaking to that non-Christian, you call them to believe in Jesus. So this is not just a nice story. This is not just a religion that works for you and doesn't work for me. It works for some people. It doesn't work for me. This is for you, and you must make a decision. Uh, You are a sinner, and there is grace, and there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ for you. And to accept Christ is to embrace him as Lord and Savior, and to say no thanks is a rejection of him. Uh, So you are calling them to believe Evangelism is sharing this message with our friends, our roommates, neighbors, parents, siblings, extended family, uh, anyone and everyone who will listen to this good news, the best news that they could possibly hear. That though we are sinners and though we are infected with this disease of sin, there is hope. His name is Jesus. And all those who place their faith in him will be forgiven of their sins. They'll be saved from their sins. They'll be saved from the wrath of God. They'll be saved from an eternity in hell. And they'll be saved to a lifetime of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will proceed on into eternity where we spend forever with him. In heaven. Uh, This is a big message. Uh, This is the most important message, and it's not something that you just want to stumble into. Uh, If you're going to give this all important message, you want to prepare. And today we're going to talk about the best way to prepare for evangelism, and that is through prayer. And we're going to talk about praying for our evangelism. I think many times we don't evangelize because we leave God out of it. Uh, Because we think that evangelism is something that we're on our own to do. 
It's all up to us. Uh, I got to be bold. I got to muster up enough courage to do this. I got to get off the couch and actually find someone to share the gospel with. Uh, I got to make that friendship with that person. And I got to be clear with the gospel message. I have to make sure I have all the right answers to their questions. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we make evangelism all about us. And if that's the case, then yeah, that's, that's not very appealing. That, there's a lot of pressure there. That, that doesn't sound very fun or very encouraging that it's all up to us. But what we find in the scriptures is that we're not alone. Uh, that to leave God out of the equation in evangelism is unbiblical and wrong. It's not very appealing to evangelize if it's all up to you, but what if God is on your side? Uh, what if the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is helping you when you evangelize? Uh, what if the God who delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm is undergirding you with that same power and using you to rescue his people from the bondage of sin. And that's what we find, that God is on our side. He is right beside us in evangelism. It's not all up to us. He provides opportunities for evangelism. He enables you. He sends laborers into the field and he is ultimately the one who saves sinners. If we are faithful to pray. And so let's talk about prayer in evangelism, this preparation for evangelism. So before we talk about going out and making disciples, we're going to talk about staying at home and falling on our knees to ask God to help us make disciples. So, uh, what should we pray for in preparation for evangelism? Five prayer requests, uh, five things that you can add to your prayer list as you seek to grow in your personal evangelism. Uh, number one, opportunities. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. You can turn your Bibles there. We're not going to be in any one text today. We're going to skip around a little bit. And we'll begin with Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. And we'll find the first two points here. We'll see an encouragement to pray for opportunities in verses 2 to 3, and then tackle verse 4 for point 2. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, pray persistently, frequently, regularly consistently. Now don't lose heart in praying. Don't give up. 
Don't be hit or miss when it comes to prayer. Keep at it. As the NASB says, devote yourselves to prayer. Storm the gates of heaven and push forward into the throne room of God and stay there. Linger there at the feet of God, asking him for help. Verse 2 continues, being watchful in it. Stay awake, be active, be attentive in prayer. Be all there. When you're praying, don't be distracted by your phone. Devote times when you're awake and alert. Devote some of the good time, the the premium time, when you're awake and alert to prayer. Not just the times when you're right about to fall asleep, otherwise you may find that you're like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane whose eyes were heavy and fell asleep when they should have been praying. Be watchful with thanksgiving. Don't forget to express thanks to God in prayers. And then verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. The Apostle Paul's got a prayer request. It's for an open door to speak the truth. More opportunities, a door, an opening, a means of access to speak the word. Paul wanted more opportunities to preach the gospel, and he knew if he was going to get more opportunities, he needed to ask God. And so he recruits these Colossian believers to pray with him, to ask God for more opportunities, more open doors for the word to go through where there were areas where he was locked out from preaching the gospel. Paul asked for prayer that God would unlock that door, swing it wide open so that he could walk through preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is one way that we prepare to evangelize, simply asking that God would give us more people to evangelize to. You could pray for this for your church, Uh, that God would bring more non-Christians to Pillar uh, randomly, that they would find out about you guys online and just show up on Sunday, Uh, that more non-Christians would come to the events that you guys put on, that you guys would be inviting friends uh, who don't know Christ to these events, and that During these events and and on Sundays, the conversation would be led in such a way by the power of God where you start talking about spiritual things and those spiritual conversations swing the door wide open to talking about the state of their soul and their need for Christ. Secondly, pray for open doors in your personal evangelism too. Pray for new relationships. Pray that God will give you new friends that you can share the gospel with, friends from work, friends from clubs and activities that you might be involved in. Pray that God would lead you in such a way where you're able to meet someone, stick out your right hand, shake their hand, and begin a new friendship so that you can share the gospel with them. And pray for open doors with people that you already know, friends and family that you already have in your life, maybe some high school friends, 
maybe some college friends, uh, relationships that are already existing, and pray that God would help you uh, to push past the small talk and to push past just shooting the breeze, uh, but being able to talk about Christ. But don't stop praying there. Yes, pray for open doors, pray for opportunities, but the open door uh, doesn't really do you any good unless you walk through it. And so secondly, pray for clarity in proclaiming the gospel. I pray that you'll walk through that door proclaiming the gospel clearly. Verse 4, Paul continuing this prayer request, pray that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul's second prayer request is that he and his missionary team would evangelize in a way that is clear. That is, that they would communicate the gospel in a way that is understandable. Now, why is this important, that we preach the gospel clearly? Because we know, as Ephesians 1.13 says, the gospel is the word of truth that leads to salvation. Because we know, as Colossians 1.5 says, the gospel leads to hope laid up for you in heaven. Because we know, as Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So, if we can just present the gospel clearly, if we can just communicate this message in an understandable way, then that non-Christian now has in his mind and in his heart this message that can save him. The seed is planted where eternal fruit can now grow. So let's pray for this. Uh, Let's pray for clarity. Uh, Let's pray for crystal clarity that when we share the gospel, they absolutely know who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, and what they must do to be saved. So pray for opportunities, pray for clarity when you use those opportunities. And third, pray for courage. Ephesians chapter 6, you can turn there now. Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 20. Ephesians 6, 18 is a very important verse on prayer. It uses several different words for prayer. Paul being comprehensive, really emphasizing the importance of prayer. And let's read through verse 20. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Notice Paul uses the word boldly twice. Verse 19, pray that I will open my mouth boldly. Verse 20, that I may declare it boldly. Paul asks for courage. 
He asked the Ephesian saints, please pray for me that I will not hold back, that I will stand on my two feet firmly, open up my mouth, and preach the gospel passionately. Pray that God will be holding my two feet and giving me the courage to speak. And so Paul asks for courage. He asks for boldness. And that's weird. Because Paul's already bold. Paul's one of the most courageous evangelists that ever lived. I think you've got to give the gold medal to Jesus. And then... The silver medal is a tie. John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul. Paul's the one who preached the gospel too boldly, where the local authorities put him in chains, locked him up. Too bold, Paul. Put him in jail. He's the one who wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And yet, even Paul asks for courage. See, the takeaway for us is that there's not a Christian in the world who doesn't need prayer for courage in sharing the gospel. And there's not a Christian in this room who doesn't need supernatural help in being bold to preach the gospel. So let's just put that out there. This is hard. Uh, This is scary. Uh, We're scared of the way that others will view us when we share the gospel. Uh, We're scared of sharing the gospel with that friend or that family member because you know you have to see them again and the relationship might get messed up and it's going to be so awkward now that you've made things all serious and spiritual, uh, we're scared that even if they do engage us, they're going to ask us a biblical or theological question that we don't know the answer to, and we're going to look foolish. And so there's all kinds of, of ways that we feel scared in evangelism. But here's the good news. The good news is that the solution is not on your own mustering up enough courage to evangelize. Uh, The solution is not playing psychological games with yourself to try to trick yourself into evangelizing. Uh, The good news is that it's not about trying to change your personality so that you're more outgoing. The good news is that the solution is God. That this really is about God. He is there. He is by your side. He wants to help. He wants to give you courage that you wouldn't have on your own. And all we have to do is ask. And while this fear may never totally go away, and I don't think it does, no matter how mature you are in your Christian life, no matter how long you've been a Christian, I mean, even the Apostle Paul asked for this, even though this fear may not totally go away, it can be shrunk. It can be minimized by God's grace through prayer. 
And by God's grace, even though you have this fear, uh, he can give you a passion for the gospel and a passion for lost souls that overcomes whatever fear of man you might have. A few weeks ago, when uh, the school year at UCLA was still going on, I promised one of the students that I would go evangelizing with him, that we would go on campus and do cold contact evangelism. We call it our fishing ministry. Told my friend, uh, Georgie, uh, it's a guy, Georgie, uh, that I go fishing with him. And afterwards, I immediately regretted it because I got to admit, I was scared. Uh, I was scared of going throughout campus and just interrupting people, eating lunch by themselves or studying by themselves and asking them, hey, would you like to hear about Jesus? Hey, would you like to talk about religion? Hey, do you have any religious background? I didn't know even how to start the conversation. Uh, I, I was scared that no one would want to talk to us and that we would just bounce around from person to person for the whole hour and just be extremely discouraged afterwards. Uh, I was scared that they would ask me that theological question that I didn't know the answer to, and then they, when they find out that I'm the Bible study leader of this group, like, well, what kind of Bible study leader is that? Uh, I, I was scared of all kinds of things. I, I was even scared that they would ask me how old I was and find out quickly that there shouldn't be any student at UCLA in their 30s. And they'd say, okay, weird old guy, get out of here. And so, in, in the days leading up to it, I was extremely scared, and uh, I thought of canceling with Georgie, thought over and over again of texting him and saying, come on, man, I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I'm an adult. I got stuff to do. I got bills to pay. I got to go to work. I got two kids, one on the way. Man, I stepped on a Lego the other day, and it hurt. Now I'm crippled. Can't share the gospel. So I thought about doing that. And in the days leading up to it, I asked a few friends to pray for me, uh, to, to pray that I wouldn't cancel, that I wouldn't chicken out, and that God would give me courage to go through with it and, and give me courage as I was sharing the gospel on campus as well. And, and by God's grace, he, he answered that prayer. Uh, he really did. Uh, when everything in, in my heart was inclined toward not doing it, uh, he gave me grace. He, he gave me strength to go out and share the gospel with, with a few guys on campus, and uh, I'm extremely thankful for that. And so everyone uh, in this room, including myself, including every other Christian, even the ones who are naturally bold in sharing the gospel, even the ones who have the spirit of the Apostle Paul on them, need help to be more courageous, and thus need your prayers. So pray for your courage, and pray for each other's courage as well. We can pray for opportunities. We can pray for clarity on what the gospel is and how to share it. But we still may find that when the opportunity comes, our mouths may be cemented shut and so we do need to pray for courage to open up our mouths and speak about the grace and forgiveness in Christ. Number four, a fourth prayer request that we can pray for is laborers. 
laborers. That is more people to be evangelists. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. You can turn there now. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. There are a lot of non-Christians in the world. And you can't share the gospel with every single one of them. We need to pray for more laborers in the field. We need lots of them. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's just talk about the city of Fremont. There are 230,000 people in the city of Fremont. How many of them know Jesus? And how many of them are sheep without a shepherd? How many of them don't know the shepherd? How many of them are confused about what they believe? Uh, how many of them are curious about religion and Christianity? And, and how many out of that 230,000 are on their way to perishing forever in hell? The harvest is plentiful. Give you an idea of how much 230,000 people are. Uh, Oracle Arena, where the Warriors play. Uh, you may have been there before. Uh, if you've seen a game in the past few years, you're rich, which is cool. Um, in Oracle, there's 19,596 seats. And so the city of Fremont alone could fill Oracle over 11 times. You live in a big city, a bustling city, a city that's, that's rapidly growing. Tons of people are flocking to this city. You can tell because it costs an arm and a leg just to buy a little condo in this city. The harvest is plentiful. There's potential for fruit everywhere. So think about all these people. And out of the 230,000, there's certainly some that are Christians. You know of other churches in the city. But how many are actually Christians? And then out of that group, how many are actually evangelizing? The laborers are few. And something that's really humbling is that your church can't reach the whole city of Fremont, much less the surrounding cities and the Bay Area overall. You, you can't even reach the city of Fremont because while you have a, a sizable army here, there's just too many non-Christians. Uh, you can't reach every workplace. 
You can't reach every neighborhood. You can't knock on every door and share the gospel. You can't reach every apartment building. And so that's humbling, right? Uh, that you can be faithful as an evangelist, but still not blanket the whole city. But what you can do is pray for other Christians who live in the same community, that they would grow in their heart for evangelism. These surrounding churches in the area, these Christians that you may not even know, maybe some Christians that you heard of, you know their name, pray for them that they too would catch a fire for the gospel, that they would have a heavy burden for the people in your area and become laborers in a harvest that is so plentiful and, and labor side by side with you. Yes, pray for each other. Yes, pray for pillar, uh, but pray for the surrounding churches and the surrounding Christians as well. So how do you pray for evangelism? Uh, pray for opportunities, for clarity, for boldness, for laborers, and fifth, pray for salvation. Pray for the impossible. Pray for what only God can do. Pray for what you have no control over and God has complete control over. Pray for what you are completely weak to do and God is completely powerful to do. Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Isaiah 42.7, he opens the eyes of the blind and sets free captives from prison and releases from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. If salvation is all of God's work, then we better get to asking him to do it. Romans 10.1, a passage that we'll come back to this weekend. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. My heart's desire and prayer. It's interesting how his, his heart, his desire is mingled with his prayer. See, the Apostle Paul prayed for these non-Christian Jews. He prayed for his fellow countrymen for their salvation because he loved them. Because he had them at the very center of his heart. Because he cared for them. Because he loved them dearly. And the thought of them perishing, being condemned forever in hell, broke his heart. It was frightening to him, painful to him. And so he says something that's really hard to understand. He says, I'd rather be accursed and let them go to heaven. And it's something pretty mind-blowing. That's how much he loved them. He wanted to switch places with them. Let them go to heaven and I'll be condemned. Do you love any non-Christians? Friends that you know? Family members? Who you don't like to think about it, where they're headed. people who are at the very center of your heart, people that you care about so much, maybe some of the most important people to you 
in this entire life. People that you've invested so much in and people that have invested so much in you. Will you pray for them? Will you pray for their salvation? Will you plead with God that he would do only what he can do and save them? Yes, pray for opportunities. Yes, pray for clarity. Yes, pray for boldness. Yes, pray for more evangelists. But pray, most importantly, that God will simply, directly, and decisively save them. That he will crack their hard hearts of stone. That he will open up their eyes to see their need for a Savior and come running to him. Uh, That he would transfer them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And live a life of joy in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship will continue on into eternity. Uh, George Mueller an evangelist and a missionary known specifically and and most famously for starting a bunch of orphanages in England, began praying for five of his non-Christian friends. And after several months, one of them came to know the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved and Mueller persevered in prayer until his death for that fifth friend. And from the time that he started praying for them all the way till his death, it was 52 years. 52 years of praying for this friend and he never saw this friend get saved because it was several months after Mueller's funeral, that this fifth friend got saved. Let us pray faithfully like that. And I don't know what you guys pray for. We pray for a lot of things. Uh, God, help me get through this work day. God, help me to use my time well. God, help me to be more holy, more pure. But of all the things to pray for, this has got to be on the list too, right? That God would save these people that you care for so much. This This was the heart of our Lord. As he's hanging there on the cross, suffering and in agonizing pain, one of the the last breaths that he has, he uses to pray a prayer for the salvation of others. You remember what he says? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A prayer for the salvation of those who are crucifying him. And let's follow in the footsteps of our Savior. In praying for people's salvation, uh, do you see how this gives glory to God? Uh, Because when we're faithful to pray for the salvation of others, we're, we're throwing ourselves fully on God. We're depending on him. We're leaning on him. We're saying, God, I cannot save this person. I'm weak. I'm helpless. I can't do this. But you can. You are faithful. You are powerful. 
You are mighty to save. And so please do what only you can. And so if we have the joy of seeing someone come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we won't attribute that to our own gifting or our own evangelizing or how persuasive we were. Then we know that this was all of God. And so when we see someone get saved after we've been praying for them, we turn back and praise God. We thank God and we give him all the glory. So, guys, as we begin this retreat, this is the preparation for evangelism. Evangelism begins on our knees. I want to end with a quote from D.L. Moody, who is often called the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. And he said this, I must first speak to God about lost people, then I may talk to lost people about God. Let's be faithful to do that. And let's do that even now. Father, uh, we do ask that you would save sinners uh, through the, the ministry of Pillar, uh, through the ministry of other churches in the area, our family and friends. Uh, Lord, we do acknowledge that uh, we are so weak and so frail, uh, so inconsistent and unfaithful to share the gospel. Uh, and even when we do, uh, we feel so inadequate. So we ask for your strength. And we ask that you would use us as weak and flawed mouthpieces uh, to give the gospel uh, this message of salvation so that sinners will repent and come to Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray for us as we go through this weekend uh, that you would convict our hearts uh, that you would give our hearts a jolt uh, and open up our eyes to the, the realities of heaven and hell and, and the, the certainty of death, the finiteness of every man, and that uh, this will set a fire under us to preach the gospel faithfully, uh, to preach it consistently and passionately. Uh, Lord, you've left us here on this earth to tell others about Christ, and I pray that you'd give us courage and strength to do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.